Welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and I'm so happy to see you guys this morning. I got a couple things that I want to share with you before we get started today. First, we are just three weeks out from Easter. Now, man, we, we, we love Easter uh, and get excited about it all year round for so many reasons. It, it is the absolute pinnacle of celebration for us as followers of Jesus. And because of that, we believe Easter is the absolute best time for you to invite your friends and your family to the gathering church. I, I, I'm telling you right now, we, we spend all year long getting ready for Easter. We're, we're going to be prepared for them. We're going to be ready for them. Uh, th- this is a great time to invite somebody to the gathering church. Now, here's what we believe, that Easter represents a unique time of year for us because it's a year many people are willing to say yes to that invitation. And what they're saying yes to is tradition, and, and, or they're saying yes to uh, what, what it seems like is the right thing to do on a day like this. But what they don't know that they're saying yes to so often is that in this place on that Sunday, uh, we are going to introduce hope in a way that they haven't experienced before. We're going to introduce victory in a way that they've been waiting for. And so I just want to invite you to partner with us in what God is going to do on Easter Sunday here. I've been working on this message I'm so excited about. I've titled it The Other. And it's the story of Easter told through two different perspectives that I believe perfectly describe what that day means for us. And so uh, in your programs, you got an invite card and you'll get another one on your way out the door today in case you didn't get a program. No, thank you. I'm good is what you said on the way in. And uh, if that's you, we got you covered. Man, we would just love it if you would partner with us in bringing this life-changing message to every single person that we, in, that we, we come into contact with in this city uh, over the next couple weeks as we lead into Easter. All right, well, uh, I got another big announcement that I'm excited about today, and that is Growth Track, the new Growth Track, step one, is happening right now. Uh, So if you were out last week when we announced this, let me give you a little recap. We are constantly trying to adapt and change how we do things at the Gathering Church to make them better. Uh, We're always asking, what obstacles can we remove to make it easier for people to engage in the life of the church? What obstacles can we take away? What processes can we streamline? How can we make it easier for everyone in this place and everyone who comes into this place to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference? We believe Growth Track is the very best way uh, to get plugged into what God is doing at the Gathering Church. In fact, we believe you have a purpose, and we want to help you discover that purpose so you can serve in that purpose. Growth Track is designed to help you do just that. So we've adjusted and changed it a little bit to make it we think what, what we think is better. And so uh, instead of being at 1230 after second service, it'll be during second service at 11 a.m. every Sunday. We'll be running two growth tracks per month. Now it is step one on the first Sunday of the month, step two on the second Sunday of the month, and then step one on the third Sunday of the month, and step two on the fourth Sunday of the month. So there is lots of opportunities for you to get plugged in. So I would start thinking about it. Make plans now. Easter Sunday, we will be doing step one again. And so come to the early service to the 9 a.m. I know that's really early for some of y'all on the weekend. It's like, hey, it's Sunday. I just woke up 30 minutes ago, but I'm here. Praise God. That's all right. We're going to wake up a little bit early for Easter Sunday and get here for Growth Track Step 1. I got one more thing to share with you, and I'm excited too about this. Uh, We are doing baptisms 
right here on Easter Sunday. And we've already got a couple of folks signed up. I get to baptize one of my very best friends on Easter Sunday. And uh, listen, if you came into a relationship with Jesus recently, last couple of weeks or a couple of months or Maybe you've been in a relationship with Jesus for a long time. It's been a part of your life for most of your life, but you've never taken this step to be baptized. I would say baptism is your next step. It's one of the very few things that Jesus specifically tells us we need to do when we come in to follow him. We like to say it like this. Baptism is not, I've got a big piece of tape stuck to my foot. I'm going to throw it in the trash pit. All right, I will pick that up later. Uh, We like to say it like this, baptism is more like the wedding ring than the certificate. It does not make you saved. It does not mean you you are a Christian because you've been baptized. It is more so a way of celebrating it. It is a way of letting the world around you know that you have been buried in death with Jesus and raised to life again with him. And so uh, if you've never been baptized, man, we we would love the honor of dunking you in the holy hot tub in a couple of weeks. And so if that's you, then you can sign up to get baptized right there. Uh, The link's on the the board behind me, on the screen behind me. And so you can uh, go to that that link and and we we would love uh, to tell you more information about that. Just signing up does not mean you have to do it. Maybe you got questions. We can answer those too. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Love Like Jesus. Love Like Jesus. It's a short one leading into Easter. And here's the idea. Um, this time of year, we really like to focus in on who Jesus is and do our best to understand what this season means for us, what it means to follow him the way that he's called us to follow him. And so today we'll be talking about this idea of forgiveness. The message is titled, Forgive Like Jesus. Next week, we'll talk about serving the way that Jesus served. And so uh, this is a big message. This is, this is a lot to swallow. I hope you came ready this morning. I was praying uh, on Sundays before I, I come here. I spend a, a, a good bit of time in prayer just asking God what he wants to do that day and to speak through me in that day and all of that stuff. And as I was praying this morning, I felt like I heard God say that some chains are going to break today. And so if you came in here bound this morning, I want you to know there is freedom for you. That Jesus declared in Luke chapter 5 that he has come to set the captives free. And so before we get started, I want to pray. I want to pray for you this morning. And then, uh, and then we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, God, I lift up to you every person who came in this morning wearing chains. Um, every person who's holding bitterness, hatred, grudges, anger in their hearts that God your Holy Spirit will begin to do his work right now that that, father we submit ourselves to you God prepare us to hear your word father use me any way you see fit God I'm yours this morning we pray these things in Jesus name amen amen well let's talk about forgiveness forgiving like Jesus as followers of Jesus this is a crucial area of our lives and forgiveness is one of those things that makes followers of Jesus stand out from the pack. See, I believe that the way Jesus has called us to forgive others is different than the standard that the rest of the world has. The the standard the rest of the world sets for us because 
we live in a culture that enjoys revenge, that revels in the idea, that likes the thought of it. In fact, Liam Neeson has already made an entire career off of movies all about revenge that we get all excited about. Every single one is exactly identical, but we still go and we sit in there like, yeah, Liam, get him, man, get him. In between uh, setting up his appointments with the AARP, he's going out there and getting revenge. And man, we love it. We live in a culture where when you're driving down the interstate and, and, and somebody tells you that you're number one, the natural response is to reply, no, you are number one. Now, some of you guys are going to get that later, and that's okay. You'll get it right when you're merging on the 240 and 40 right there on the interstate. You'll figure that one out. See, in the world that we live in, uh, if somebody hurts you deeply, Uh, what is normal is for us to hold on to it forever. And that was the same world that Jesus was living in. See, this desire to hold a grudge, this desire to not let it go, this desire to get payback, revenge, to make them feel the way that we feel, this is not something cultural, this is not something new, this is something human. And it has been this way ever since humanity's hearts were broken in the garden. You see, uh, Jesus was speaking to a culture that knew this very well. And one day, he, he was teaching this sermon on a mountain, one of the most impressive, famous sermons ever told. And you can find it in Matthews chapter 5, 6, and 7, and scattered throughout the rest of the Gospels. And he began to take things that were normal and accepted, even to the religious people present, and he began to flip them upside down, and, and, and all of a sudden change what was normal for his followers. In that sermon, he told us that when the Bible says, do not commit adultery, it doesn't just mean don't have sex with somebody you're not married to. It also means don't think about having sex with somebody you're not married to. In that sermon, Jesus told people that you shouldn't have to say, I promise or swear an oath every time you make a statement, but that your yes should be yes and your no should be no and your word should mean something. And that same message, Jesus told people that when, when the Bible says do not commit murder, it doesn't just mean don't go around killing people. It also means don't go around hating people. You see, Jesus took things that we accepted as normal, that, that we were comfortable with, and he made them uncomfortable. He took things that, that we accepted as a standard, and he flipped it all upside down. And in this same message, he took this idea of hurts, and forgiveness, and he kicked it up a notch. Because even then, the rule of thumb was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You hurt me, I get to hurt you back. In fact, this comes from something called Hammurabi's Code. It's the oldest written law that we've discovered so far. It it had been around for thousands of years before Jesus. People still lived by it and accepted it. And the most famous saying on Hammurabi's Code is an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You get paid back in kind to what you've done. And so Jesus said to them in Matthew 5.38, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye. And a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. In other words, Jesus took revenge out of our language. See, there were things that were just a part of our language that we, just, we were used to, were normal. And Jesus wanted us to understand that to follow him meant change. To follow him meant taking some of these things that were a part of our normal everyday life, And giving them up. In chapter 6, 
Verse 14, he takes it a step further and says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, Jesus doesn't just call us not to take revenge. He calls us to radical, required forgiveness. Forgiveness. As in, no more bitterness. As in releasing the anger and the hate and the contempt. See, following Jesus requires us to forgive others in the way that we've been forgiven. And this is not an easy task. And it's hard. And it's hard for a few reasons. Maybe it's hard for you to let it go because they hurt you. They hurt you. In some way, they, they've, they've hurt you. Now, I think there are some really petty reasons that we choose not to forgive people. That we, we hold on to these petty instances and they become bigger and bigger and bigger the longer we hold on to them. Like they said something bad about you and won't admit that they said it. Or they won't admit that they did something that, that hurt you. Or, or these little things that add up and over time we just decide we're not going to let it go. I went to middle school at a, a small charter middle school, uh, and it started a little bit early. So when I was in the fifth grade, I was at this school, and it was one of those schools where everybody knew everybody, and anything that happened, everybody knew that it happened. You couldn't, you couldn't hide. There was no escaping anything in this place. And so I'll never forget a traumatic moment that happened to me in my English class in the fifth grade. Now, I had an oral presentation to give about the book we were reading. And so I was making my way up to the front of the class. And to be honest, I was feeling really good that day. And I'll tell you why I was feeling really good. I was wearing my favorite sweater, my absolute favorite sweater. The year was 1997. And my favorite sweater was a bronze sweater with teal and black zigzags on it. And I put it on. Do you have an item of clothing? You put it on and you just think, oh yeah, I look good today. Just brings confidence out of you. You put it on and you walk out of the house like, hello world, you're welcome. I'm here. That's how I felt in this sweater every time I put it on. And so I was feeling good. I wore it because I knew I had an oral presentation to give and all eyes would be on me that morning. And so I had it on and I'm walking up to the front of the class and this girl, we'll call her Ashley in case she watches this broadcast later. Ashley stops me in front of the class and says, hey, John Mark, before you begin, and I'm like, yes, Ashley, what can I help you with? She said, uh, I would love it if you would do me a huge favor. And so I said, yeah, anything, what? And she said, would you please never, never, ever wear that hideous sweater again? We all hate it. And the entire class erupted in laughter. Yeah, you're not sure if you can laugh at that right now because clearly I'm still a little bit upset about it. Yeah, it hurt. What was worse was a little bit later when I went to lunch, apparently the word had gotten around because I walked into the cafeteria and I felt the whole room just stop and stare at my sweater so they could decide for themselves if it was as ugly as rumor told. Now, let me tell you something. 
I did not let that go easily. In fact, Ashley remained a part of my life for most of my life. And so I'd glo- this, this hatred in me began to grow and grow and grow until we were straight up enemies. And when we were in high school, she began to date one of my best friends. And I said to that friend, hey man, you can't date Ashley. She is my arch nemesis. In fact, I think the only reason that she's dating you is to get to me. That was not true, but I believed it in my heart. Now, I'm going to give you the conclusion of this story so that you know that I let things go, okay? Because they ended up getting married, and I did go to the wedding. I debated. I wasn't sure. He was marrying my enemy. I didn't know. And I, I, before the wedding, I went to her, and I sat her down, and I said, I want you to know that that sweater is the hottest thing you've ever seen, and two... I don't, I don't hold a grudge anymore. I let it go. I forgive you. And so I don't know if I have or not. We're working on it. But some of the things, some of the things that we hold a grudge about are kind of petty. Uh, someone hurts us in some small way that we blow out of proportion and suddenly we think we have an arch nemesis like we're in a comic book. We can't see how small it is because to us, it legitimately hurts. But maybe for you, the forgiveness that you are withholding comes from a different kind of hurt, a deeper and more intimate wound. Maybe somebody abused you emotionally, physically, sexually. Maybe a spouse betrayed you and wrecked your trust. Maybe somebody abandoned you and made you question your value. Maybe one of the people who were supposed to protect you, a parent, a teacher, a pastor, hurt you in a way that feels like it cannot ever heal. And I'm up here laughing about forgiveness, but you just want the pain to stop. Maybe for you it's hard to forgive because they hate me. They hate me. It's a mutual hatred. How do you forgive somebody who will never forgive you and who will continue to hurt you? Because that's messy. When somebody says they're sorry and the ball rolls into your court, it's a little bit different. It gives you kind of a power over them, a control over them. Your your withholding of, of forgiveness is almost like a way that you have to pay them back for the way they hurt you. But what do you do if that moment never comes? You never are going to get that kind of power. They're they're never going to be sorry about it. They're never going to feel bad about it. They don't agree that something wrong has happened or they know something wrong has happened and they're glad it did. How do we manage that? What do we do when they hate us and are hurting us in the past and they're hurting us in the present and they are going to hurt us in the future? How do we forgive that? Finally, sometimes we struggle to forgive Because they deserve it. Sometimes it just feels like they deserve it. This stems out of our bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness is like a root. It's like a weed inside our hearts. It grows and the roots get deep and it just begins to spread into everything that we are. And sometimes those roots get so deep we're not even sure where they end, where they start. It becomes as much a part of us as anything else inside of us. And we've decided that we cannot forgive them because they deserve our hatred. It is the feeling when we know we should forgive someone or let something go, but we know 
that they've earned it. And our fear is that if we let it go and move on, we're excusing what they did and we're letting them get away with it. And nothing could be worse than letting them get away with it. I believe forgiveness is one of the hardest things we're called to do. But Jesus has called us to do some very hard things. In fact, at one point, he would say to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. That means that if you want to follow Jesus, some things inside of you are going to have to die. Some things that feel like they are you are going to have to die. You see, following Jesus, it has this requirement that we leave these things like our bitterness and our anger and our unforgiving behind on the cross of Jesus. We let them die there and we step forward into something new. And new can be scary and new is unknown. Sometimes we would rather die in the toxic than step into the unknown. But following Jesus means something inside of us has to die. What needs to die in you? Maybe your pride, addictions, bad habits, mentalities. Our bitterness has got to die. And this is hard. This is hard. But nothing about the language of taking up a cross and losing your life indicates that this will be easy. Jesus never, ever sidestepped this. He was never unclear about this. Over and over and over again in Scripture, He tells us how hard it is going to be to follow Him. That to follow Him means leaving behind everything that we know. That to follow Him means stepping into something different. Following Him means dying to ourselves. Following Him means putting things on a cross and leaving them there. See, I think at some point along the way, we we equated Christendom to an easy life, to ease of life. We we believe to follow Jesus means that we're going to have it a lot easier than everywhere else because we'll have God's favor upon us. We think that to follow Jesus means we're going to live that hashtag blessed life. And it sounds great. We think it's going to mean that everything's just going to fall in front of us one step at a time as we go. Easy, easy, easy. But that's not what the God of the Bible calls us to. You see, throughout Scripture, Jesus lets us know that there's going to be suffering if we follow Him, that there's going to be hard times if we follow Him, that there's going to be sacrifice if we follow Him. And there is blessing when you follow Him, blessing beyond anything you could ever imagine, real blessing. But you've got to know blessing doesn't mean money, blessing doesn't mean possessions, blessing doesn't even mean that everything happens the way you want it to. Blessing is a spiritual condition. And the blessings the Bible talks about are spiritual blessings. Your soul will find satisfaction. When you are able to go into these hard things that Jesus calls you to do, there is blessing on the other side of it, but it is something that you cannot explain to somebody who is not receiving it. It is a condition of your heart and a condition of your soul, something that allows you to say, no matter my suffering, no matter my circumstances, it is well with my soul. I am content, I am ready, and I am one with the one who has made me. It is a different kind of blessing. 
Because the reality is, following Jesus is very hard. And He requires us to do some very hard things. But Jesus never calls us to do anything that He did not model Himself. Forgiveness above all else. That's why in Matthew chapter, chapter 6, He goes so far as to say, if you don't forgive others, our Father won't forgive you. Because this is the linchpin of our faith. Romans 5.8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've got to understand the weight of that statement. We are often, we love in a way that requires reconciliation. The way that we love is a way that has to be loved back. The way that we forgive is a way that has to be reciprocated. But God's love is different. While we were still sinners means before we said sorry. While we were still sinners means while you were doing that thing that led to the greatest regret of your life, it was in that moment He forgave you. While we were still sinners means at the moment when you were at your lowest, your weakest, your greatest moment of shame and hurt, that Jesus was saying, I forgive you, I love you, and I will give my life for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if you're not able to forgive, if we're not able to forgive in the way that He's forgiven us, the truth is we don't understand the depth of the way that we've been forgiven. Consider Jesus in Luke chapter 23. And he lived this perfect life without sin. For three years, as he was in public ministry, his ministry involved healing sick people. Giving people who felt they had no future a future. Going to people who had since birth struggled with blindness, struggled with lameness, struggled with the inability to speak. He, he went and gave them a voice. He gave them sight. He gave them the ability to walk, the ability to work. Jesus would stand up and teach people about love and forgiveness in a way the world had never heard before. He cared for people. He was compassionate. He heard those who nobody else heard. He saw those nobody else saw. For three years in public, that was the way he lived his life. But then all of a sudden, for no particular reason, the mob turned on him. And he was arrested. And he was put on trial for all the wonderful things that he had done. And when Pilate asked if the, the people wanted him to release Jesus or a murderer named Barabbas, the people screamed the name Barabbas. 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 Give us Barabbas. And Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God would suffer unspeakable things. They would take him, they would beat him, and he would go to the cross to be executed publicly. As he bleeds from all over his body, uh, on his way up to Calvary, up to that, that hillside where he was crucified, he could feel it. He could feel every ounce of pain in his body and in his heart, he could feel the weight of the sins of the world. He could feel the presence of God and the favor of God removed from him. And he could feel a weight. Do you know what a weight is? You know that feeling? Right after you've been caught in something you hoped you'd never be caught in, in the pit of your stomach. Do you know that feeling when you're given a responsibility that in no way do you believe you can bear? The weight. The crushing. Heart-wrenching. Weight. He felt it. He felt every inch of it. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5 says, Surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced 
for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And he can feel it. He can feel every moment. And on top of all of that, you've got these Roman soldiers. These guys have no idea who he is. They don't know what he's done. They don't care. They were told to execute him, and they're going to execute him. And so after they've whipped him 39 times, almost to the point of death, they put a a robe around him in a royal color, and they make a crown out of a thorn bush and force it onto his head. They begin to hit him with a stick, call him names, calling him the king, saying, worship his majesty, mocking him. And then they made him carry his cross up that hill, and they got him up there. And the whole time, they're making fun of him, they're laughing at him, they're spitting at him. And Jesus is on the cross in the ultimate moment of suffering. And these men are at his feet, gambling for his possessions. And Jesus looks at him. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34 says, When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You've got to understand the forgiveness of Jesus. You've got to understand that what he's called you to do, he has done in a far more difficult way. That when he asks us to let go of something that we shouldn't have to let go of, when he asks us to to release somebody of something that we don't know how to release them from, when he asks us to forgive them of something unforgivable, you've got to know that he was on that cross for you. For me, for those soldiers. And you've got to know that those soldiers did not want his forgiveness. They didn't care about it. It was funny to them. But he gave it to them anyways. This is who Jesus is. And as Christ followers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to follow him, to behave like him, to think like him, to see people the way that he sees people. And this is what it looks like. And so we have got to step into the radical forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's what defines us as Christians. And we get to pay it forward. We get to pay that moment forward every time we forgive others for things that are hard to forgive. Big hurts or small hurts, present hate or past hate, it's time to let it go. And it's time to start your fight for forgiveness. It will be a fight, but it is worth the effort. I'm going to give you two things that you can do to forgive this, these people. And then we'll be all done this morning. First thing is this. Pray first. Pray first. Let that just be your motto. Pray first. Anytime God calls you to do something, what you need to do first is pray. Anytime He asks you to do something hard or impossible, what you need to do first is pray. There is power in the presence of God, and the presence of God is met in prayer. We come before Him with everything that we need, everything that we have to do, every hard thing. We just land it at His feet in prayer, and He is with us every step of the way. Pray first. You've got to pray first. If you're going to forgive somebody that you don't feel capable of forgiving, the answer for you, your step number one, is to pray first. I had a close friend that I felt like I simply could not forgive. Honestly, the situation is too sensitive and too close 
for me to offer you too many details on, but I'll put it this way. We were in ministry together, and he had my complete trust. I had spent years giving him hours of my time, mentoring him, leading him, making plans with him. We were like brothers, and I thought we would go the distance in ministry together. He made plans with me to come here to help start this church. I trusted him completely. And then he betrayed my trust in a way that was personal and hurtful, in a way that was hard for me to forgive. If you know me well, you know the thing I value above all other things in a relationship is trust. And he broke it. He lied to me. He deeply hurt people who matter to me. Deeply hurt. And I wasn't sure how to move forward with this. But these well-known and simple instructions from Jesus would not stop showing up in my heart. Luke 6.28 says, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, You have heard that the law says, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You see, these are easy passages to swallow until you have an enemy. A lot of us, we, we, we go through life, an enemy is, is not something that everybody has all the time. And so until you have an enemy, it's like, yes, I love that Jesus tells us to love our enemies. That is awesome. Until you have somebody who you would classify as an enemy. And then it becomes the hardest thing you have ever been asked to do. Pray for those who hurt you. So I felt in my soul that I was supposed to pray for this guy. So I got down. I'm a pastor. I'm like, if anybody's going to do it, it has to be me. So I got down on my knees one morning after this, this thing convicted me in my soul. And I just began to pray, God, I lift up that guy. You know his name, Lord. I want to pray for him this morning. I want, to, I want to pray, God, that you give him hemorrhoids, Lord. Give him hemorrhoids, Father, and, and, and many, many hemorrhoids. Father, I want to pray bees over him. Bees, send him to his armpits, God. Let him get a bee sting in his eyeball, Lord. Father, I pray that his internet connection would be slow for all time, that he would never, ever load the page that he wants to load, God. I prayed for him, all right. I pray for him. I pray for him every day. I had meaner things in my heart that I wanted to pray over him. It is hard to pray for people that curse you. It is hard to pray for people that hurt you and persecute you. But the Bible calls us to do it. And so I knew I had to do this. And so I created a space in my prayer to pray for this person. And so what I would do in the beginning is I would get to that portion, that space, and I would just be silent. For a couple months, it went on like this. Every single day, I'd get to this place where I was going to pray for him. And I would just be silent. God, you know what I'm supposed to do. I can't do it yet. And I would just give him a moment. And the Holy Spirit began to change my heart. And a couple months in, I got to that space and I was able to say something. God, I ask a blessing over him. I didn't really mean it, but I said it. God, I ask, I ask a blessing in his life, Lord. Increase his leadership. Show him how, how many mistakes he's made and let him do everything that he needs to do to make it right. Amen. <laughs> Little steps. <laughs> a little bit at a time. Just started to pray for him. And something happened. See, this was in the space of a year. It takes time. And I got to a place where I had been doing this so much that I found that I started to mean the things I was praying for him. 
See, it, it grew from silence to God, give him a blessing to, Father, I ask that you would bless his life, Father, that you would bless his leadership, God, that you would increase his wisdom, that, Lord, everything he touches, you would place favor on, that you would place favor over any area of ministry he steps into, that, God, you would bless his marriage, that his marriage would be the best marriage out of anybody around him, that, God, you would bless his children, that you would grow purpose up inside of them, that, Father, you would grow who he is, Lord. That he would get more and more like you every single day. That God, you would put blessings in his life, on his life, through his life. See, what I found over time was that prayer had really changed something. And I don't know if it changed him, but I tell you right now, it changed me. We are called to pray for people because prayer always changes things. And what it changes more than anything else is us. As we begin to pray, our heart changes. It's supernatural. It is the Holy Spirit's work. We do not wage war as the world does because the wars that we fight are not of this world. The wars we fight are in the spiritual, and so our weapons are spiritual weapons. When we pray, we allow the Holy Spirit to move inside of us, to change us, to transform us. I asked God to transform him, and what happened was he started transforming me. Prayer changes everything. If you wait until you are ready to pray for somebody who has hurt you, I got news for you. That day will never come. You've got to get started today because the prayer is what gets you there. Prayer changes everything, most especially you. So did somebody hurt you, devastate you, betray you? It's time to pray for them. Pray for your friend that lied about you. Pray for your boss who mistreated you. Pray for your parent who left you. Pray for the friend who let you down. Pray for the person who abused you. I know it's hard. Jesus has called us to do hard things. Jesus did hard things for us. We've got to pray for them. That's what Jesus did. He had the hardest thing of his life right in front of him. The cross. He knew what was coming. He knew the weight that was coming. He was already feeling it. And it's, the Bible tells us that that night before he would be crucified, he went to the garden to pray. And he prayed. And his prayers, they were so honest. He was praying in such a way that the capillaries in his temples burst. And the Bible says blood was raining down his face like sweat. And Jesus said, God, I don't want to do it. Take this away from me, Father. Find another way to forgive them, God. It's not worth my life, Lord. Lord, I can't do it. If it's your will, Lord, take this cup from me. But God, if it's your will, if it's your will, I'll do it. May your will be done, God. Be glorified forever. Prayer changes things, and it's always our first response. My prayer for others may or may not change them, but it always changes me. Second thing that we can do is this. Forgive as you have been forgiven. Forgive as you have been forgiven. So you've got to forgive them. You've got to. We have to forgive because of the unbelievable way we have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. In other words, we all deserve it. That every shortcoming, mistake, every decision that we have made that is opposite of God's best for us 
that moves us away from God. Everything that we do in contrast to the character of God, we've earned death there. It's what we deserve is the penalty. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Death doesn't have to be a part of your story. Death doesn't have to be in your future. It doesn't have to be in the cards for you. And it's not anything that you've done. You've got to understand the language here. It's a free gift. As in you didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You never could. You never would. It was given to you. And so because He's given us this gift, we are called to return the favor, to give this gift to others, to forgive the way we've been forgiven, to offer up life the way we've been offered life. I don't know about you, but I deserved death. I didn't deserve forgiveness. You see, I was lost beyond all description of the word. I didn't know who I was, where I was going. I didn't have a future. I didn't have hope. I didn't have any idea of what victory looked like. I thought I'd be bound by the chains of depression, bound by the chains of trauma, bound by the chains of regret and guilt for the rest of my life. I thought that was who I was and who I would always be. And as a result of that, I hurt people. I hurt people close to me. I hurt people I didn't know. It didn't matter. It came out of me that way. And it was right there in that place, in that moment, at my lowest point. And I didn't do a single thing to deserve it. I didn't make it right. I didn't go back and pay penance for all those things. It didn't matter. Right there in that place, he found me. And he reached his hand out to me and he pulled me up. He said, I'm here for you. I've given you my life so that you could be in relationship with me. He found me. And he forgave me of more than I could ever explain to you here in this room. And so because I've been forgiven like that, I've got to forgive like that. Because I've been forgiven like that, I've got to forgive like that. I've got to step into hard conversations. I've got to step into hard places. I've got to go to people who will probably hurt me again tomorrow and say, I forgive you today. I forgive you for yesterday. And I've already forgiven you for tomorrow. You can't hurt me anymore because I am wrapped up by the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven by him. I'm rescued by him. I'm his and his alone. And it's still going to hurt a little bit. But you need to know that I will keep offering you the forgiveness that he's given me because that's who I am in Jesus' name. It's been crucified. I put it to death. I cannot withhold forgiveness from anybody because who am I to do that? And I know it's hard. I mean, I don't know if I've ever stood up here and asked you to do anything harder. I know that bitterness feels like it's all you got sometimes. We we have this bitterness inside of us it's been there so long, it just feels like it's who we are. See, when, when people hurt us in, in, in deep, intimate ways, what we think we're doing with this bitterness and this hatred is we're building a cage around them because they may never have to pay for that. They may never get, get caught. They, they may always just have success in life and, and they may always get away with it. They may do it to somebody else. And so we're going to build a cage of hatred around them in our hearts. And that is the punishment we can give them. We can't do anything else. It's out of our control, but we can hate them. And that will keep them locked away. But I'll tell you right now, bitterness does build a cage in your heart. They're not inside of it. Your joy is. Your peace is. Your hope is. Your future is. And until you can release that bitterness, it'll be trapped inside there. Being angry at somebody else, refusing to forgive somebody else is like drinking poison and hoping they die from it. You are the one that will suffer the consequences. 
There, there doesn't have to be payback. There's just, in life, there's just not always payback. We've got to learn to forgive. In a way that doesn't make sense, we've got to learn to forgive. In a way that is hard, we've got to learn to forgive. In situations where it feels impossible, we've got to learn to forgive. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means forgiving the way you were forgiven. That's what he's called us to. Maybe, and on a final note, maybe you need to forgive you first. And maybe it all comes back to that. Maybe you've got so much shame, guilt, anger towards yourself that you've just bound up all these other people in contempt as well. You need to know that it's done. It's paid for. You can have it right now. Forgiveness is yours. That he went to that cross and he suffered and he bled and he died. And three days later, he walked out of that tomb and in his hands were the keys to death and Hades and all of it. And he says, I want to unlock all of the pain in your heart. I want to give you hope. I want to give you life. I want to give you the promise of a future. He says in Luke chapter 5 that he came to bind up the brokenhearted and to set the captives free. Listen to me right now. If the person you can't forgive is you, you need to know Jesus has already done it. Let it go. Give yourself the grace he's already given you. And once you've done that, it's time to start forgiving others. We can do it. Church, we can do it. We can do this. We can let it go. We make the decision. We pray, we pray, we pray. We pray for them, we pray for them. And then we just make a choice. I choose to forgive you. doesn't have to feel good. doesn't matter. I choose to forgive you. I release you from this. You don't have to say you're sorry. You don't have to earn it. I choose to forgive you the way I was forgiven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to do hard things, God, because we know you've done hard things for us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for, for the cross, God. Forgiving it to us, Lord. Forgiving forgiveness and grace and a second chance to us. In a moment, we didn't think we could get it. While we were still sinners. Father, I pray for every person in this room today with a name on their heart. Lord, give them the strength to take their first steps. Give them the strength to go on their knees before you with this name on their lips. Lord, remind them that you're with them. That whatever you call us to do, You don't call us to do it alone. Your Holy Spirit is with us. Your church is with us. So, Father, we do this together. In Jesus' name, amen.